Welcome to I Love My HBCU Question Mark, the podcast where we express our undeniable love for HBCUs, but where we are also not afraid to address a few tough questions. So, sit back, learn a little, love a lot, and rep your HBCU. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of I Love My HBCU Question Mark. It's a first. We have a non-HBCU student and non-HBCU alum joining us, Olu Kopano. Welcome. Thank you for having me. So, Olu, it can't just be thank you for having me. Tell us where you are spending your... You're a... No, no, you're a sophomore, right? Sophomore, nice, nice. So, tell us where you are spending your four years of matriculation um, as an undergraduate. I'm spending my four years at UNC Chapel Hill, technically five uh, after the gap year at UNC Chapel Hill as a Moorhead Kane Scholar. Moorhead Kane Scholar, UNC Chapel Hill. Shout, shout out also because I have to. It's, I love my HBCU question mark. So shout out to all the HBCU schools in North Carolina. I wanted, um, so those who know the show know that this is to spotlight HBCU alum and HBCU students. However, there's a third option that we have and that's unaffiliated. And the reason why I am interested in hearing from persons who um, are not at HBCUs or did not attend an HBCU is because you've got a perspective as well that could actually buttress um, what we do for our HBCUs. I'm going to get right to it, Olu. Did you apply to any HBCUs before deciding on UNC Chapel Hill? I did indeed. I applied to two, Howard and Morehouse. Howard and Morehouse. Why didn't they get Olu Capano to to a? I'm going to guess you got accepted. Um, why? Yeah. Why did you? Not why. That's not fair. How did you end up at UNC Chapel Hill mm -hmm. instead of Morehouse or Howard? Um. So there were many factors that I I had in my decision making process. Number one was money. My, we had, I had a list of 17, 18 schools. And the first factor was I'm only applying to schools with full rides and I'm only going where I get full rides. Ended up getting full rides to everywhere that I applied to. Um, I, I got in everywhere, everywhere that I applied to besides Princeton because they don't have merit. And then besides um, Morehouse. Um, and, and I mentioned that because um, at Morehouse, there was a problem in the back end with even getting my application. It took two or three tries to get it in. So it was, for me, it was already a struggle to begin with to even get in the application. Howard, I got a scholarship in the portal, but I could never ac access my portal. So immediately, without even looking at the schools and considering them as valid options, there were already barriers on their end that not only prevented me from, from, from them reaching the, the first hurdle, but then my interest was already kind of wet down when I didn't even see, honestly, the level of professionalism that I thought that uh, a lot of the other schools that I applied to exhibited. Hmm. 
So we lost, we lost Olu. So I, I, I get to hear different reasons um, as to why NHBCU loses a student like you from enrolling at their institution. And for you, we lost you, I hate to say legitimately, but I'm going to say legitimately so, because of our lack of professionalism. And that's shocking to me that you would get a scholarship to Howard University and you wouldn't even be able to access. Is that is that what you just described? You couldn't yes, even access? I tried. I tried multiple times. I tried the portal and they were, they were giving me problems. And, and I'd done it 10 other, 10, 12 other locations. So it wasn't like I was, I didn't have the, the skills or knowledge to access the portal, but I emailed, wasn't getting replies. Um, so it was kind of off-putting. So Howard University is my um, um, graduate alma mater. So, um, ooh, sorry, we lost a good one because um, the 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 what I've read upon you and all that I know of you, yeah. you you're about to do a whole bunch of people proud. You are a Moorhead Kane scholar at UNC Chapel Hill. What for those who don't know, what is the Moorhead Kane program? The Moorhead Kane program was the first uh, merit scholarship um, created in the United States, and it was modeled after the the Rose Scholarship. I believe the acceptance rate is around three percent um, worldwide, and and we have alumni all over <clears throat> the world doing it in their profession, uh, to say the least. Um, and fully funded uh, academics, fully funded summers and having access up to 9,000, give or take, in grant money uh, as well, as, lo as long with uh, an incredible alumni network. Wow. Wow. Um, can I go back to school and become a more king? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and a partially funded gap year. <laughs> and you said a fully funded gap year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. They 8,000. I got 8,000. Do you know if there's an age limit? Um, can I get I'm, a second? I've been asked that. I've been asked that before. Ask. No, seriously, I would, I would <laughs> do yeah. this all over again for that. That's pretty brilliant. That's pretty brilliant. <laughs> Olu, um, no, you're not an HBCU um, uh, made or HBCU now guest, but HBCU connected guest. Um, so my questions for you in the rapid fire segment is going to be a little different, but I'm still going to throw a rapid fire segment at you. Mm -hmm. Ola, you're a well-versed human being. I'm going to ask you, so it's 67 seconds, not yeah. 60 seconds rapid fire. Why do you think I have it at 67 seconds? Um, to give a little time for more thought out answers or to get another question in no that's not yeah, it no clue. so a little bit of hbcu history for you if you please about 10 hbcus in the united states of america were founded in 1867 mm -hmm. hence the 67 seconds <laughs> all right so are you ready for your rapid fire segment i'm ready i'm ready let's do it let's do it Olu, describe yourself in three words. Passionate, international, curious. Passionate, international, curious. You're at your college graduation. Who do you want as the commencement speaker? Maverick Carter. 
Maverick Carter. I, I could cheat and say I know who he is because I've had the, the pleasure of you telling me who he is. Before the audience who don't know who he, who he is, very quickly, who is Maverick Carter? Maverick Carter is the right-hand man to LeBron James and the person who's been responsible for the I Promise School, <clears throat> Spring Hill Entertainment and Space Jam, featuring a new Black cast and everything that LeBron has going on outside of, of sports. Love it. Love it. Maverick Carter. Love it. That's a name to know. In one word or phrase, describe life on your school's campus. Fraternal. 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 Okay. If I say HBCU, what comes to mind? Pride. 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 Okay. So time's up, but... <laughs> I'm still going to take the liberty to ask you one more rapid fire question. And let's see, let's see which one you'd choose. You've kind of teased this for us earlier on. If HBCUs were the only option, which HBCU would you have attended? I would have attended Howard. Uh, I would have attended Howard. It was, it was actually high, high on the list. If if they if they would allow you to get into the portal, right? You'd yeah. be there now, Heavenly <laughs> Father. Okay, thank you for that, Olu. Olu, you ooh ooh ooh. Every conversation that I've had with you, even prior to this recording, you've gotten to do quite a lot in a short period of time from leaving high school. Um, tease not tease the audience. You're going to have to give a mouthful with regards to your major what your major is, what your major has you exploring currently. Tell us, tell us, yeah. Tell us your major and what you are exploring sure. through your major. So I am a, a global studies major with a breakdown um, being um, focusing on transnational culture, art, and identity in Latin America, minoring in entrepreneurship. That's a mouthful. <laughs> I know. That's a mouthful. Uh, <laughs> what, what birthed, because I... I need to quit giving the audience the clue that I've, I've known you for a little while now. So I'm not, not going to keep saying, well, based on what I know, Latin American studies wasn't always choice mm. number one for you. So, no. so how did you land on Latin American studies? Honestly, it was, it was the gap year. Pre-gap year, I was going to be in big business, majoring in business and uh, minoring in Japanese. Um, and from the gap year... I was able to really experience, and I say that because in high school, while I was doing a lot of things, it was class, 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 sport, extracurricular. And through all of that, I didn't really get to find out my passions. And in mm -hmm. the gap here, I was able to explore those passions. I was able to to travel and, and work in construction and work in hotel management on Caribbean islands and a lot of different uh, endeavors. And for me, I landed on um, uh, global studies focusing on Latin America be because everything that I want to do, once I want it to connect to the African diaspora. Mm -hmm. And through my time in Costa Rica and on the Caribbean coast of Co Costa Rica in Limon and Puerto Viejo, I saw nothing but Black, mainly Jamaican people, Jamaican culture. Um, and, and seeing that, I, my world was kind of opened up because when you think of Latin America, when I think of Latin America, speaking for me, I didn't see 
my people, not, mm. not as much. Um, so really realizing that um, there was a lot of the African diaspora in Latin America, I decided to really have my focus be on Latin America with through a more internal lens, focusing on the African diaspora. Wow. How's your Spanish? Good, good. Si quieres, yo puedo hablar español también. Así que dime lo que quieras. Oh, he's just showing off now because he knows I can speak Spanish. <laughs> You're just showing off because, you know, I don't know not a single word of what you said. <laughs> Any language what you want. in English? I said um, it's good. Uh, I can speak Spanish. Um, so so tell me whatever you want and, and I'll do that. <laughs> Okay, um, Japanese was your language of choice. Yep. So for those of us who, I just said I don't speak Spanish and I'm always, I'm always on Duolingo trying to learn one language or another every other day. But you gave a methodical way in which you have become fluent in a language that barely two, three years ago, you didn't speak much of so give us give us your methodical process of immersing yourself in this language mm -hmm. yes yeah, so i would say i'm probably uh, roughly reaching the the two-year mark um with my studies and and what i've done is if you look at my phone my phone is in spanish you look at my music i made a, a mental pledge to myself that 95 at least 95 percent of my music will only be in spanish my movies my tv shows only in Spanish. When I'm journaling, I'm journaling in Spanish. And um, throughout all of this, every time I'm learning a new word, so I'm reading the music. One three-minute song might take me seven minutes because I'm writing down every word. 40-minute episode might take me an hour and 10 minutes because I'm writing down every word I know. And with repetition and time and trying to speak to uh, friends who, who I've had, I have a good friend who I've known since fifth grade. Uh, he's fluent in Spanish. Um, so whenever we're on FaceTime, whenever we're together, we don't speak English anymore. We only speak Spanish. And it, it started off difficult. Um, but over time, you know, you I've, I've had my moments where I was like, why am I doing this? Why why do I care about this? Because like, you know, it, that that doubt that the difficulties are going to come through your head. But um, it's just about resolve, grit, knowing that the there will be a time where you can be on a podcast and, and whip out the Spanish. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's it. You, you said something there that caught me off guard. I wasn't expecting it. You, you journal in Spanish as mm -hmm. well. Yes. And I, I, I do that because, um, so it's accountability on the long run as well. So 20 years down the line, if I, if I stop my Spanish, I can't read my journal from when I'm 18 and 19 and 20 because I won't be able to speak the language. So this is a way where I know I'm making my pledge now, this period at 19 years old, 20 years later when I'm 39, I must be able to to read this with a better, same or better le level of, of fluency. Now that's commitment. That That's yeah. commitment and accountability that I I, I don't have. But I'm hoping that's a gem I get to to learn from you um, by listening to you do that. That's 
that's that's a new one the journaling in spanish i've heard the, the you know changing your phone to the language you want to learn uh speaking to somebody only in that language exclusively i've heard those ones before but i've never heard the journaling and i love the manner in which this is a future this is accountability to your future self as well <laughs> wow impressive impressive olu olu you are in north carolina which means you have proximity to more than a few HBCUs. So I think it's fair to ask you, what is your impression of HBCUs? Uh, impression of HBCUs. Um, so first I would say, I would start by saying every HBCU is different in size, in focus, in study. And I've I've noticed that. So when I'm on A&T's campus and uh, my brother was um, applying there, I was able to see that they were excelling in in the STEM department. They were doing it there. And other ones are different as well. Um, maybe this wasn't the question, maybe I'm going off. But also I would like to say that uh, for me, even as a, a young man whose father has been a professor at HBCUs, I still would like to say that I don't know as much as I should about HBCUs. And I also think that speaks on, um, I guess the current, climate of of the recognition that they're getting and i don't think it is as enough um as it as they should have um but i would like to say that my overall opinion is is a, is a positive uh, opinion positive outlook i just would like to know more and I, I know some of my other friends would like to would have maybe attended there if they just if it was more in their sphere and more in their knowledge so so if they had more knowledge of them and if some of the ones that they were interested in were a little bit more professional in their approach to things, because there's that, there's that, which leads me to, to, does it lead me to this question? Let's find out if this question actually is a great follow-up. You, you'll be the judge for me. Do you think HBCUs have more or less to offer than other universities? I, I think um I'm gonna I'm gonna take the the easy way out in saying that um more in some areas and less in other areas. In the more area, I would say being with people that look like you every day and, and feeling that warmth or or just that they understand me. I think in college when you're going to a university with ten, twenty, thirty thousand people and you don't feel, you can't feel a bond. Friendship is important. Friendship is important. Having a school that matches you and the vibe that you have and your energy and feeling supported, that's important. What's also important is scholarship money, professionalism, um, research abilities, um, and also the classroom. Um, I, I, I did not, I do not attend an HBCU I do not attend HBCU. I love HBCUs. Also, from my experience, from, you know, people that I know on the student side and on the adult side, I also can say that there are, um, in the classroom side, from both friends and professors, I've heard level of, um, I would say, full engagement 
at multiple HBCUs, and maybe full engagement is not the word to say, but um, this academic drive is not as um, as much of a straight line as I would say it is in some other universities. If I could touch on that a little bit more, I would say, for example, even even in in the uh, COVID times, my friend he was at Howard. He transferred to PWI uh, during his year at Howard. Um, they would have um, online classes, obviously, uh, during the COVID part, but they wouldn't have Wi-Fi in the dorms. Really bad Wi-Fi. All the classes are online. I think that's a simple thing that that needs to be there. And, that, and that's not on the student side. So even if the students were really driven and dedicated, that's a lack of um, uh, just a, a lack, a lack of. Um, where I think just at some other institutions, potentially PWI, um, and in my experience, um, I don't have to worry about those issues. And I think that goes a long way. So I'm, I'm almost, and this isn't, this isn't to put this on you to answer this question. Mm -hmm. I can literally feel it. I can feel fire against my neck, um, Mm -hmm. of people breathing down when they hear this that it's a lack of resources or if there were more resources at HBCUs, um, um, then, then that kind of a comparison, for example, would be invalid. But let me say this for you, right? That it's not always a lack of resources. Um, And like you rightfully said, if we've, we as in any institution, has decided to pivot to online education because it was necessary at the time, thanks to COVID, then there has got to be an infrastructure that actually allows that to happen. Otherwise, you've got other things to contend with um, um, beyond just, you know, a lack of of, of Wi-Fi, because the reality then is that there is a gap that is occurring between the knowledge content that that particular student or those set of students are able to gain as opposed to students at other institutions. And um, thankfully, I'm sure that was not the case for all HBCUs. Um, But um, I think we can assume what you're saying with regards to the lack of a, you, you call it a straight line. Can you dig a little bit deeper into the straight line? Because several things can be interpreted when you say there's a lack of a straight line that could be on mm-hmm. the the end of the question where you believe that sometimes HBCUs have less to offer than other universities. Mm-hmm. Give Maybe give us maybe another example that, that mm-hmm. digs into the straight line bit. Mm-hmm. And I think it might be a wording thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, just to clarify, in terms of on the HBCU, HBCU side or the PWI side? That was the HBCU side. You had noted earlier on that there's a lack of a straight line educationally or academically um, for students at HBCUs when you were saying, because you know you're cheating on your answer. You gave the more and now you're giving the less um, um, with regards to what HBCUs have to offer to students, to Black students. Absolutely. Um, Touching on that on the student side, um, just from hearing around uh, from personal real experiences um if a student is given 20 pages and you're having half of the class saying that's too much 
10 pages, that's too much. Then sometimes there's students who went, who are, I know, I know people at Cal, wherever, who are reading 90 pages a night. I'm reading maybe 40 for, for one class and we're going into deep detailed dive conversations. And even if the professors want to give out this content and have what the students should, should, you know, um, desire and what they need for their educational growth. If there's a, a gap of commitment in the classroom setting from students, not only is that going to um, harm other students, but that's also just going toward the energy and drive that you have in the school, um, I would say, community or, uh, again, I guess it goes back to the word um, culture, the culture of the campus, the culture of the school. And um, that's where the straight line goes to a, a downhill. Okay. Okay. Um, we could talk about this a whole lot more and come up with a, not come up, but offer up a whole lot more examples. But I think you've given enough. I think you've given enough and you've said a mouthful. And um, to your credit, as somebody who's been on the um, um, teaching side, as well as administrative side at an HBCU, I, I think what, what should what can't be lost here is how nuanced this entire issue is. This isn't Tosin making excuses. I'm not making excuses one way or another. I'm simply saying that I'm sure there are reasons for it, but whether there are reasons for it or not, it's something that we have to address because I, I do, I know I've given assignments in classes and if I give a five page paper, there is a complaint and I'm like, guys, it's five pages. It's it's only five pages. So I, I do get what you're saying. And I, it's important to note that what you're saying isn't just coming out of thin air. It is actually based in very specific scenarios that um, we we know exist, regardless of how much some of us may want to come into defense of our HBCUs. Olu, I did not go to undergrad or grad at um, a PWI. So tell us, for those who don't know, in your, through your lens, what does life look like as a Black student at a PWI? Again, your lens. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad you said my lens because everyone's lens is different. And for some students, I've, I know students, friends who really dislike it because they say too many racist people, too many uh, can't find my my group here. I can't, you know. There, there's reasons. Um, the social economic differences that are creating conflicts. From my lens, I would like to say that it's been an overwhelmingly positive experience. Also, because of the scholarship and the resources that I'm afforded through there. Um, so on the social side, first, um, I love sports. UNC. Um, maybe they pour a little too much into it, but billions of dollars are are going toward um sports teams and 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 while people might complain about that i guarantee you on a football saturday or basketball wednesday thursday or friday people are loving seeing roy williams seeing michael jordan seeing these crazy videos and i i'm 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 people i'm i'm one of those one of those people who loves to see it um so having that part of my school and part of that my campus having being able to to go to 
um, you know, an alpha party, wherever, and having the, the black community that I have uh, going and listening to country music with my other friends or, or whatever, whatever the in-between is, I'm able to see all parts of, of life through my PWI experience and not have to, to pay for any of it. Is it, is it, not have to pay for any of it? I, I like that you keep on making this about <laughs> financial stability, right? And financial access, because that matters. It absolutely does. Is it fair to say that, um, and for those who know just geographically where UNC Chapel is, UNC Chapel Hill is in proximity to North Carolina A&T, NCCU, North Carolina, North Carolina Central University, and there are a few more that I could mention. Is it fair to say that you kind of get to have the best of all worlds? Because I'm going to guess for everybody listening that Olu doesn't just stay on UNC Chapel Hill's campus. I'm a traveler. Uh, I, correct. So, and being able to have the flexibility with a car. Um, and even if you don't have a car, because there's so 15 minutes away, even if you save up, you can Uber it to NCCU. You can you can get you have friends. One somebody in your circle is going to have access to um, transportation. So being able to go to A and T for a concert or for homecoming or um, Central, um, and then even if you're not going there, I know people from all these campuses because. Even if they, some of them come to UNC's campus for whatever reason that might be, but it's because we all have mutual friends. The black yes. community in North Carolina is tight. So I, at a PWI, can still get a piece of the pie from HBCUs. Lucky you, lucky you. You, you mentioned it. I can't believe I didn't ask this in, <laughs> in a rapid fire segment, no. but you mentioned it. So... Mm. North Carolina A&T's homecoming, mm -hmm. UNC Chapel Hill's homecoming. Which one are you picking? <laughs> That's not a comparison. That's not a question. A&T to the max. I had a, a, a yeah, yeah, I'll leave it at that. A&T to, <laughs> to the max. Okay, I had to. I had to ask. I I, I kind of come on. They, they call themselves the greatest homecoming <laughs> on earth for a reason. And I haven't been yet. I hope I make it soon. But I hear that it, it they... They deserve the title. That's what I hear. I hear that they deserve the title. Um, Olu, what role do you think that um, non-HBCU students either have or should, what role should they play? There we go. Um, to add their voice to the general discourse of Black life in America. And that question is based on at an HBCU, I can tell you, it's a conversation that happens quite frequently and fluidly on campus. You're going to hear somebody talking about what, just how things affect um, the Black community in several different respects. And again, I've not been, I've never been a student on um, a, a PWI at, at, in those formative years, right? And my curiosity is, a, does it occur just as much or how does it occur at a PWI? And what role do you think the Olucapanos of the world who are at PWIs should play? What role should they play in adding to this voice? Okay. I'm going to start with um, how does it occur or does it occur? At PWIs, it definitely does occur. 
um, I would say at first, it occurs within the Black community. So we have, you know, our uh, BSM, Black Student Movement, and we have our Oasis. We have different groups. Uh, we try to get them together. But conversations about Black life on campus in the South first, and then Black life in America, these are happening. These are happening uh, at forums and uh, trying to bring in guest speakers. We had a, 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 I think it was like a barbershop talk where BSM put it on, where we had alumni from several fields uh, come in and uh, we had a couple of students and, and other professionals give everyone cuts and all the black men, in this case was just black men, talk about not only life on campus, but black life in America as well. But um, to your uh, other question regarding on the grander scheme of things, what role can can we play or do we play um, at PWIs? Um, I think especially, I, I keep on mentioning the South because UNC Chapel Hill is a state school that is, it, it was not meant for black people. This school was not meant for, it's not, we were not included until way down the line. So coming into a system and a school that I would like to say isn't ours and we had to fight to remove a, a um, Silent Sam, a statue that had a lot of racist connotations um, just got it down a few years ago. Um, you know, UNC was just in the the big case um, regarding affirmative action. So there's a lot that is happening on our campus, and we have a responsibility um, to not only keep it within our circle, but also challenge these institutions, challenge the system, and represent the Black community on a on a grander scheme, on a uh, nationwide level, and. I would like to say that um, we're trying to do that. I wouldn't say that. And, you know, we've had some success. Uh, again, it's a, it's a difficult process. The, I believe the past two student body presidents have also been um, Black students as well. Um, but it, it's, there's more to, to that. There's more than just, you know, a couple years of or a couple um, occurrences where we're, we're gathering uh, it's a, it's a, again, 20 year accountability, accountability that the actions that we're trying to do right now and that we want to do in, in two years and three years will have an effect when our children potentially uh, are trying to go to some of these institutions as well. Wow. Wow. Olu, that was a full throated response and I appreciate <laughs> it. Um, and you, you've given a lot to chew on. Um, and I, I think my biggest takeaway from everything I've heard you say is I think you may actually have a bigger role as in the black students at PWIs. Um, they're, they're, and, and please put the word safety in quotes. I think there is, isn't. I don't hear as comfortable a cultural safety at PWIs for black students. And, and all I mean when I say that is it now, listening to you, it emboldens you to speak out against some of the more in your face um, um, issues of historical racism and potentially current racism or just racial matters. I don't wanna just brand it as racism, just racial matters that the cocoon that an HBCU creates for a black student, we may not necessarily have to deal with. So, um, wow, wow, that 
that's a mouthful actually um and and i hope i hope there comes a day and time very soon where students black students from hbcus black students from non hbcus get to come together and discourse that on a national stage i think that would be pretty amazing okay. do you absolutely absolutely you put you put ideas in my head right now <laughs> we need to work together on this <laughs> Olu, it has been my utmost pleasure to have you on, on, on I Love My HBCU Question Mark. And thank you for being the inaugural HBCU Connect guest, i.e. unaffiliated directly to an HBCU. But before we go, is there something that Olu is working on that he wants to bless the... I see a smile. There's a big smile on his face, guys. Um, that Olu is working on that he wants to share with the audience before we go. Absolutely. So in uh, under a month, I would say, yeah, under a month, I will be embarking on a three-week journey to Colombia, and I'll be in Cali, Cartagena, and yeah, I'll say those two, those two cities, and I will be exploring the African influence um, on Colombian culture through the lens of dance um, there. And uh based off especially what you just said there's another smile on my face because one my research advisor um is from an hbcu and he he's helped me structure this research project and i'm connected with directors of um, institutions and and um universities and people in the field of ethnomusicology um but along with this process really exploring going into the african diaspora through latin america um I have been charged um, in Cartagena with bringing, trying to um, shout out, uh, saying shout out because it's a, a genre called champeta. Uh, I want to, the goal is um, to bring champeta to the map. Um, champeta is a form of music, a form of dance. Um, and I, I mentioned HBCU because the goal is potentially having some sort of collaboration with not only PWIs, but also HBCU. So how can we first get this form of dance, form of music into the school systems, maybe at HBCU and saying, okay, wow, now I can see um, African black culture in Colombia through the classroom, through music, through something that I can connect with. And how can we say, create a audio visual project? How can we create a documentary? So. Um, that's, that's the, the, the thing that I have working on right now. So in connection with PWIs and HBCUs. Olu, um, it has been amazing having this conversation with you. Um, I do hope that, um, in people listening to this particular episode that I have, I have earned the pleasure of them subscribing to, I love my HBCU question mark. And of course, how could anyone listening not like this episode so go ahead and hit that like button and subscribe to i love my hbcu question mark olu thank you for being thank my you. guest today you've been listening to i love my hbcu question mark let's keep the conversation going as we share our stories and encourage more practical support of hbcus whilst of course holding each other accountable don't forget to follow and subscribe for the latest episodes. Until next time, love and lift your HBCU.